Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Well, Shabbat Shalom. Uh, this coming Tuesday, uh, the Elder and Shamash Board will be meeting and will be praying and fasting for the shul, and especially for the salvation of unbelievers. And we want to invite you as our congregation to also pray and fast on this day in unity with us uh, for these things, uh, that, that God would show his glory and his power and his majesty and pour out his spirit in our midst. And so in preparation for this, uh, I want to talk today about prayer and fasting. And a lot of you, I realize, uh, may not fast very often, except maybe on Yom Kippur, uh, and may, therefore may have a lot of questions about it, like, why is it important to fast? How does this fasting thing work? Uh, what is fasting all about? What's the purpose of fasting? Why would you go a day, or two, or three, or more without eating? Well, the scriptures, we see fasting as a very regular practice. Isaiah 58 is a whole chapter about fasting. The Pharisees would fast twice a week. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, uh, there's a, a passage on fasting. We sure talks about not if uh, you fast, but when you fast. Yeshua assumes that his followers will be regularly fasting. And even secular groups are getting on board, uh, this bandwagon, uh, the physical benefits of fasting, in addition to the spiritual benefits. Uh, there's a group, for example, called Fasting Center International. Uh, and they say fasting is the greatest of all what they call healing modalities. Uh, and they list four secular benefits of fasting. I'll put them on the overhead here. Number one, to remove unnecessary weight, the natural way. Uh, number two, to remove, with, to eliminate what they call the five to ten pound inner toxic waste dump, now polluting your cell tissue and organ system, including chemical toxins, heavy metals, uh, metabolic wastes, excessive cholesterol, transglycerides in your bloodstream, arterial plaque, and here's my favorite one, intestinal parasites. <laughs> Number three, they say it's to elevate yourself out of the, quote, cloud of consciousness that most of us spend our entire life in and vault you into the stratosphere of human potential, whatever that means. Uh, number four, to regain the birthright potential of optimal health, uh, increasing your happiness and healing power as you scientifically reset your body's odometer and greatly enhance your quality of life. So... The secular proponents of fasting tout all these benefits, you know, losing weight, purging toxic waste out of your body, vaulting you in an entirely different stratosphere of human potential, again, whatever that means, uh, and resetting your body's odometer for greater health and healing. But what I want to talk about today uh, are the biblical reasons for a Yeshua follower to fast. As I mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount, Yeshua talked expressly about fasting. Indeed, interestingly, he talked about praying and fasting and giving uh, all together in a row in Matthew 6. Uh, and in each one, he says, when you pray, do this. Uh, when you fast, do this. When you give, do this. And if you ask most believers, they'd say, yes, of course we're supposed to pray. And of course we're supposed to give. But they're not so committed to fasting. In fact, I recently saw a letter that was published from my pastor search team of a large local church here in Dallas, and one of the requirements was that the pastor needed to, quote, be able to preach well on giving. So we expect people to pray in a local congregation, and we expect them to give, but Yeshua also puts fasting in the same category. But I've never seen a profile of a pastor's job requirement or for Messianic rabbi's job description, that said he needs to be able to preach well on fasting. Be able to preach on fasting. But Yeshua puts it in the very same realm as, as praying and giving. 
And in fact, throughout the book of Acts, we see the disciples fasting. Indeed, in Acts 13, the whole mission movement to the Gentiles was birthed in fasting. Look at Acts 13, uh, verse, uh, verse, beginning in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul uh, for the work that I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So we look throughout the scriptures, both the Hebrew scriptures and the New Covenant scriptures, what you find is a picture of God's people uh, whenever they come to a place of deeper dependence on and deeper desperation for God, you often find them fasting. In the book of Nehemiah, for example, when Nehemiah heard that the gates of Jerusalem had been burned down, uh, we read this in Nehemiah 1, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Uh, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah cries out to the Lord with prayer and with fasting. Second uh, Chronicles 20, the Moabites and the Ammonites are about to attack Israel. So what does the good king Jehoshaphat do? Second Chronicles 20, verse 3, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The Jewish people were under attack. They were at a point of desperation, so they humbled themselves, and they fast, and they prayed to the Lord. Similarly, Acts 13, uh, the Messianic Jewish believers are, are wanting to take the gospel, they're wanting to take the gospel to the nations, but they aren't sure how to do it. So what do they do? They worship the Lord and they fasted and they prayed together corporately as a community. They were at a point of desperation, longing for God. Uh, and that's the central picture of fasting throughout the scriptures. And we're going to put this on the overhead. Uh, in fasting, what we're doing is we're saying to God, more than my body wants food, my life wants you. My soul needs you. In a way that supersedes even our basic daily necessity of food, my life longs for you, Lord. And fast to become face to face with the question do we want God? Do we really want God? Do we really want more of God? Do we want more of God in our life? Do we want more of God in our families and our marriages? Do we want more of God in all of our relationships? Do we want more of God here at Eschayim? Do we want more of God if you reach out to the Jewish community of North Texas? If so, then fasting is a central expression of us saying to God, more than I want the basic daily necessity of food, I long for you. I desire you. We crave you. We're hungry for you. And that's the question that Yeshua is asking us today. He's asking us, do you really want me? Do you really want more of who I am? If so, then fast and pray. And that leads us to our text today, Isaiah 62. Which actually is not a chapter about fasting per se, but it, is, but it is a chapter about longing for God in prayer. It's a great image of what praying is all about, about intimacy with God uh, and longing for God. And we see here that uh, this also informs our understanding about fasting. Uh, whenever you fast, whether it's for a day or two or three or more, inevitably you will experience hunger pains and discomfort. You'll want food. You'll crave food. Uh, inevitably, when you're fasting, you will experience hunger pains. You'll experience desire for food. And the purpose of fasting is in these moments, when you crave food, you will pause. And you'll say to Yeshua, Yeshua, more than I want food right now, I want you. And I want your life. I want you, Lord, more and more in my life. More than I want to eat, I want to feast on your word and your greatness. I need you more than I even need food right now. And it's through that longing and sacrifice and commitment and spiritual discipline that God begins to expose 
all our other cravings and desires in our life that are not from him or for him. And they begin to come to the surface so we can repent of them. And in contrast to that, I want you to see uh, the godly cravings that are, that are represented in Yeshiyahu Hanovi, Isaiah chapter 62, where we see Isaiah calling out for God. He says this, beginning in verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Yerushalayim's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The Goyim, the nations, will see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you'll be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You'll be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate. But you'll be called Hepzibah, Hepzibah, my delight, and your lamb Beulah, married. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so your builder will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will God rejoice over you. I've posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They'll never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest, till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. My holy brothers and sisters, I want EC, I want us to be a congregation that gives God no rest, because we're calling out to him day and night. The watchman is consumed, never silent, day or night. Uh, like a newborn son, giving himself no rest, giving his mother no rest. And now what consumes Isaiah so much that he'd be up day and night, uh, that he'd be constantly longing and crying out? What is it that he's so focused on that, that he wants to keep calling out and doesn't even want to sleep at night? It's his burning desire for more of the Lord and to make God's name a praise in the earth. It's this picture of longing that I want us to focus on today as we see various reasons why we're called to fast and pray. I want today to look at three reasons in particular why the Lord is calling us here at EC to fast and to pray as a congregation, as a covenant community, as a faith family. So number one, we'll put on the overhead. Number one, we fast because we hunger for God's glory to be restored in his assembly. Uh, in the body of Messiah. We hunger for God's glory to be restored within us, within his congregation. This picture in verse 6 of Isaiah 62, of not being silent day or night, it goes back actually to verse 1. Look at Isaiah 62, verse 1. For Zion's sake, I won't keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I'll not keep quiet. So this is the picture. Why can't I keep quiet? For Zion's sake, for Jerusalem's sake. Well, here's the background of Isaiah 62. This is a time when the people of God are experiencing discipline uh, and the judgment of God for their sin. Uh, and they're suffering in their sin as a result. The picture being painted here is the people of Israel being deserted and desolate. The northern kingdom of Israel, the ten northern tribes, uh, uh, they're being overtaken by Assyria. Uh, and, and years later, the southern kingdom of Judah will be overtaken by Babylon. Uh, and the prophet Isaiah sees this bleak picture. And he can't remain, he can't remain silent uh, because of the state of his people, the people of God. The prophet has a holy dissatisfaction with the state of God's covenant people of Israel. He sees where they are. And he sees where they could be. And he's saying, Jerusalem isn't meant for this desolation. It's not meant for this destruction. The city of God, the people of God, the place where God puts his name and dwells is not meant for this. The people of God are not meant for desertion and desolation. People of God are meant for righteousness that shines out like the dawn. So Isaiah is wholly dissatisfied with the state of the people of God. He sees where they are and where they could be. So let me ask you, do you have a holy dissatisfaction with your own walk with the Lord? 
and with the state of the body of Messiah in our country, in America? Do you have a holy dissatisfaction? Do you see where we are and where we could be? Do you see what we're intended for as Yeshua followers? Look at the picture of the original Messianic Jewish community in the book of Acts. Peter preaches one sermon. Thousands are immediately cut to the heart and repent and turn to Yeshua as their Savior and as their Lord, as their God. The very next chapter, a lame man who's never walked uh, is jumping up and down praising God. He's been healed through the power of the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Next chapter, Acts 4, thousands more come to saving faith in Yeshua. Next chapter, Acts 5, the believers are being persecuted and they're happy about it. They're rejoicing. Why? Because they've been deemed worthy to be persecuted for his name's sake. Something powerful is at work here. Next chapter, the number of disciples is increasing rapidly. The Lord's adding to the number daily those who are being saved. And day by day, day by day, people are coming to faith in Yeshua every single day. Messianic congregations are being planted all over the place, spreading all over the Roman Empire. The gospel is spreading with power. People are being delivered from demons. The sick and the disabled are being healed. It's a picture of God's power in the Holy Spirit. E.C., Do we want that kind of picture in our midst? Do we want that today? Do we want to see the gospel spreading throughout North Texas with power? Do we want to see the Lord adding to his body daily those who are being saved? People you never expect turning from their sin, turning from themselves, turning to Yeshua. Do you want to see that? Do we long for the glory of God to be restored in his holy congregation? Are we tired of the road programs we so often see in American churches and Messianic synagogues that are devoid of Holy Spirit power? And do I, are we tired of man-centered religious services that are in many places devoid of Yeshua-centered spirit? Are we tired of families and marriages and relationships devoid of righteousness and love and servanthood and humility and forgiveness? We want more of the power of Messiah in our life. Do we long to see the glory of God restored in his covenant community, in the body of Messiah? We long for the holiness of God to be restored in our country. And where we don't cover up our own sin, but we, we're open and we're honest with God about it, and we seriously confront the sin in our own life, and we turn from it, and we experience God's grace anew and afresh. Do we want that? And we want to help those here in our midst, in our faith family at Eskheim, who are unemployed, or, or, or who are in poverty. Do we care about the things that God cares about? Do we want to see the power of God restored in the body of Messiah? Do we want to see the word of God restored in the body of Messiah? Do we long for and crave the word of God more than we long for and crave food itself? If you want any of these things, then I encourage you to fast and to pray. Fast and pray for EC. Fast and pray for salvations. Fast and pray for our Jewish people's hearts to be open to the gospel. Fast and pray for the Great Commission to be fulfilled. Fast and pray for America and for Israel. Join us in fasting and praying this coming Tuesday as the EC Leadership Board fasts and prays for these things. And when you crave a bagel or or a burger, stop and pray to Yeshua saying, Lord, more than I want food, I want your glory to be restored to your body. Do we want God like that? Or are we content to sit sit up in our watchtower and sleep? Are we content 
to go through life for hours every day or watching TV and surfing the internet without longing for Messiah's glory to be restored in his corporate body. Yeshua, make us a congregation that is consumed with longing for you and your glory and your kingdom and making disciples of all the nations to the Jew first and also the Gentile. God, wake us up. Stir the embers. Make this one desire burn within us with your holy fire. So we fast and we pray, number one, uh, because within the overhead, please, number one, because we hunger for God's glory to be restored in his people, in his corporate covenant community. Number two, because we hunger for God's praise to resound among the nations. Look at Isaiah 62, verse uh, 1. For Zion's sake, I'll not keep silent. For Yerushalayim's sake, I'll not keep quiet. When? To her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all the kings, all the rulers, your glory. And then look down at verse 7. Isaiah 62, verse 7. He says... And give the Lord no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Now, what's that all about? It's about God calling out for his people. Just like he did in the beginning, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham. And he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out my blessing upon you. And through you, all the peoples, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. From the very beginning... God has chosen to bind up his reputation, his character, his renown with the state of his people. He displays his holiness through his people. He displays his majesty through his people. He displays his love through his people. He blesses them and they're a reflection, they're to be a reflection of his character to the nations. That's what the prophet is crying out for here. That our righteousness would shine out like the dawn, our salvation like a blazing torch, and that the nations would see the righteousness of God in the people of God. So when Isaiah cannot sleep day or night, it's not only because he's concerned about his own people, Israel, but it's also because the nations need to see the glory of God. And the main way that they see it is in the people of God. And so the picture here is Isaiah praying for God's people for the sake of the nations. So how does this translate into why we fast and pray today? We fast and we pray for God's glory to be restored in his messianic communities, in the body of Messiah, in a way that will astonish the world. Let me say that again. We pray and we fast for God to restore his glory in our midst in a way that the nations will see and be astonished by. We want the Dallas Jewish community to be astonished with the glory of Yeshua. And that will begin to happen when God restores his glory in the Messianic congregations and in the Gentile churches and our communities, including right here at that time. And so we pray for God's glory at EC on behalf of the nations, on behalf of the not yet believers, Jew and Gentile, here in North Texas. Because we want salvation to go out from Etzchayim like a blazing torch Uh, throughout Richardson and Plano and Dallas and all of North Texas. And that's what we're praying for. That's what we're fasting for. You know, right before the Civil War, interestingly, right back in 1857-58, here in America, there was a great spiritual revival movement that was known as the Layman's Prayer Awakening. A small group of men began praying together in New England. They kept praying and meeting and praying and meeting, and it kept growing, Uh, until there were small groups praying all over the cities of New England, seeking God and asking God to pour out his spirit in a powerful way. And God did. Here was one description on the overhead uh, from that time, this historian called The Mighty Visitation. We're going to read from this. He writes this. 
He says, it was like a spiritual tornado. The Spirit of God swept through the land of America, and New England became the center of a great awakening, resulting in great numbers finding salvation. In some towns, it was almost impossible to find anyone who had not been converted. Is that cool or what? <laughs> you know, you know, Rabbi David, I know I'm supposed to share the gospel here in Dallas, but the problem is I can't find anyone who doesn't already believe the gospel. <laughs> Everyone in the whole city loves Yeshua. Wouldn't that be great? And then this, the historian he continues. Like a great spiritual epidemic, tremendous conviction of sin swept through the land, and thousands turned to Messiah. Drunkards, as they stood at saloon bars, Gamblers, as they sat at the card table. Congregations, as they sat in worship services. Even passengers on board incoming liners in the harbor. They all came under the influence of this strange and wonderful moving of God. And kneeling in repentance, wherever they were, they found pardon. In many places, dance halls, theaters, and gambling dens emptied out and closed due to lack of business. New congregations began to spring up everywhere. Family altars were restored in homes. The spirit of prayer grew in intensity so much that anyone could cross the land and find at midday prayer meetings in any town. It's estimated that 50,000 decisions for Yeshua were made in one week when this gracious visitation was at its height. You see, my prayer, my heart's cry is this. God, do it again. Do we want to see God's power and glory fall at E.C.? We want to see God's glory descend so that salvation goes out from, you see, like a blazing torch throughout the Dallas Jewish community. Lord, may it be so. And may the torch continue to burn until it goes forth uh, and there's revival throughout Dallas uh, and Texas uh, and, 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 and the whole U.S. and Israel and all the nations of the earth. Every people group. Every ethnic group, every tongue, every tribe, every race, every nation. Do we want that? Then fast and pray. Fast and pray with us this coming Tuesday and as often as the Lord leads you. And when you experience hunger pains or discomfort, pause and look to the Lord and say, more than I want food, I want your praise, Yeshua, to resound in Dallas and throughout the earth. This is why we fast and pray. Number one, because uh, we hunger for God's glory to be restored in this congregation. Number two, because we hunger for his praise to resound among the nations. And number three, we hunger for God's son to return to his people. Isaiah 62 begins with these promises to the people of God in verses 1 to 3. And then in verse 4, Isaiah says this. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate. But you be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. Here's the picture. Because of their sin and judgment and suffering, they were looked down upon by the nations, Israel was, as deserted and desolate and alone and isolated. And Isaiah is talking about a day when they'll no longer be alone and deserted and desolate, but they'll be married. That's what Beulah literally means. It means married. In fact, the next look at the next verse, Isaiah 62, verse 5. Next verse. As a young man marries a maiden, so your sons will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Here's the picture. You've got a bride standing alone at the altar, awaiting her bridegroom to come, looking out for her bridegroom to come and rejoice over her. And the bride can't sleep. She wants her bridegroom. In fact, the whole, that's the whole picture of the watchman on the wall here in the next verses. Throughout the Tanakh, 
we see this picture often of watchmen. Uh, for example, in Ezekiel, you, you see an image of watchmen uh, in their watchtower looking out over the city. And their primary role there is as guards. They're looking out for Israel's enemies. Uh, when the enemy comes, their job is to warn the people. So the picture of a watchman is often the image of warning. And also us warning each other against sin. Warning each other against the adversary. But that's not the actual imagery of the watchman here in Isaiah. It's a little bit of different imagery here. Let's start by looking back at ten chapters previous, Isaiah 52, which gives us a picture of what's going on in our text, Isaiah 62. So look at Isaiah 52, uh, verse 8. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, Zion, they'll see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his, his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Do you see what Isaiah is saying here in verse 8? This is a picture we have throughout the Hebrew scriptures. The people of God are longing for the coming of the kingdom of God. They're longing for Messiah. Uh, they're longing for God to come and save his people. That's what they're longing for throughout the Tanakh, throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. And the watchmen aren't just guards uh, to look out for enemies, but the watchmen are also looking out on the, on the horizon, looking for a friend or an ally who come to help, who come to take out these enemies from the rear. The watchmen are looking for help, looking out, looking at who's going to come and rescue them. That's the picture here. Uh, that's why this is prefaced uh, uh, with the famous verse of Isaiah 52, verse 7, the previous verse. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tide, glad tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And then the very next verse talks about the watchman. Look at verse 8 again. Listen, you watchmen. Lift up your voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they'll see it with their own eyes. The watchmen are on the wall. They're looking for when God will come to save his people, to bring the good news and glad tidings. The watchmen are looking for Israel's redeemer, Israel's deliverer, uh, who ultimately is the Messiah, is Yeshua. And that's why Isaiah 52 ends, of course, with the introduction of the coming of the suffering servant. It's a similar picture in many ways to our text, Isaiah 62, with the bride looking for her bridegroom. That's why after describing the bride and the bridegroom in verses 1 to 5, the next verse, Isaiah 62, verse 6, says this, I've posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They'll never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest, and give him no rest, until he establishes Jerusalem and makes for the praise of the earth. Now flip over to Matthew 9. We Yeshua combines all these themes, combines these themes of marriage to him and the practice of fasting. This is where the whole picture starts to come together. Matthew 9, verse uh, 14. Then Yochanan's disciples came and asked Yeshua, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples don't fast. Yeshua answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn when he's with them? The time will come and the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they'll fast. Don't miss the picture here. Yeshua says, You fast for the coming of the bridegroom, but when the bridegroom is here, you don't need to fast. You don't fast for the coming of the king when the king is right in front of you. You enjoy the presence of the king. But when the bridegroom, when Yeshua is taken from them, then his disciples will fast. They'll fast for his return. And that's why we now fast. Yeshua, our bridegroom, has ascended into heaven, and we long for his return, for the return of the king. We long for Yeshua to return and establish his kingdom. 
when he'll rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. So here in Matthew 9, Yeshua is saying, once I'm gone, my disciples will fast for my return. We will long for the bridegroom to return to us, his bride. That's why we now fast, Yeshua says. Now put all this together with the picture of the watchmen in Isaiah 62, who are looking out over the horizon. We, we are now today the watchmen. And the reason why we can't keep silent day or night is because we're the watchmen on the walls looking out over the horizon. And, and as the adversary is afflicting and attacking the body of Messiah, we are a people who are fasting and praying and looking for the coming of our king. And this is good news. Because no matter how much the enemy attacks the body of Messiah, no matter how much sin creeps into the congregations, no matter how much false teaching comes into the congregations and American churches and assemblies today, no matter how much you struggle with your own personal sins, no matter how much horrible suffering and pain you go through, look out from the wall over the horizon. Because there is a king who is coming. Fast and pray because we long for him to come. We long for him to come and to deliver us from sin once and for all. To deliver us from suffering and pain and persecution. For he is coming. And so we fast and we pray and we call out for him to come and to come quickly. And that's the cry of the new covenant scriptures. Look at the very end of the whole scriptures. Revelation 22. Yeshua says this in verse 12. He says, look, I'm coming soon. And my reward is with me. I'll give to everyone according to what they've done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the Aleph and the Tav, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The New Testament cries out, come, Lord Yeshua, come. Come quickly. This is why we fast and pray according to the Scriptures. We fast because we want the king to return for his people. Yes, of course, we do know his presence now, in one sense now, as believers, because we're filled with his spirit. But we don't know him as intimately as we could. We don't know his power and his majesty and his mercy and his grace as intimately as we could. And so we want him. We desire him. We long and we ache for him. So we fast and we pray because we want him to come to us. Come, Lord Yeshua, come. And this is the point where I'm personally most convicted in studying these texts. Why don't we talk anymore today about fasting for Messiah in America? Could it be because we have grown so content and so comfortable and so complacent in the absence of our king. We live good lives. We're, we're relatively affluent compared to the rest of the world. Uh, we, even the, the least of us, we have the basic necessities covered here in our country. We have clean food and water and housing and plumbing and electricity. We have AC and internet and TV and smartphones and computers and cars and clothing and, and modern medicine uh, and leisure time. All these things we take for granted. Most people today in the world, in Asia uh, and in Africa and in South America and Latin America, they don't have all this. And we enjoy all the things of this world. And in fact, we enjoy them so much uh, that uh, we're often okay with the fact that Yeshua is not coming quickly. But we should fast and we should pray because nothing that this world can offer us can ever compare with the coming of our King. And we long for Him. We desire Him. More than even the basic daily necessities of food. Because, because more than the best food this world has to offer. We long for our king to come. And that's why we're called to fast and to pray. Number one, because we want his glory restored in our midst, in our congregations. 
Number two, because we hunger and we long for the nations to see his greatness. And number three, because we want Yeshua to come. And so, my holy brothers and sisters here at Eschaim, let us be a people who don't let God rest. Let's call out to him day and night. Day and night. Let's fast like we're hungry for more of him. Let's give him no rest. Put this in the overhead, please. Let's give him not any rest, number one, from our praising. Let's not give any, let's not give God any rest from our praising of him. We will exalt your name, O God. God, you will never grow tired of our exaltation that we will give your name as your people. We will call out over and over and over again your greatness and your glory and your beauty and your majesty and your power and your grace. We will ascribe to you the greatness due to your name. You'll never tire of our exaltation. We will give you no rest, Lord, from our worship. We will give you no rest until you make Jerusalem the praise of the earth. We will forever praise and worship you, Lord. But you say to us, like you said in Isaiah 62, verse 11, say to the daughter of Zion, see, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. We will give God no rest, number one, from our praises, Number two, also from our confessing. Put this on the overhead, please. We will not we will not grow weary of confessing our sin. We are finished and done as a people of God with continuing in our sin. Continuing on like it's no big deal. We're done with, with purposely sinning and then saying, Oh, I'll do it, but yeah, God will I'll forgive me because I'll confess it later on. No. We will turn from our sin. We will turn from ourself. Lord, we will immediately confess our sins before you. And we thank you, Lord, for you say in your word in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord Yeshua, we want to experience the fullness of your grace. And so we confess our sins before you and we hold nothing back. And we trust that you will cover our sins with your blood. The blood of the new covenant poured out on your cross for us. And we will believe that as we confess them, you will also give us power over our sins, not to repeat them again. And you'll give us the power to walk in your holiness. Help us, Lord, to reflect your character to the nations. Lord, we will not let you tire from, number one, our praising... Number two, our confessing. Number three, our praying. You'll not be able to rest because, because of our praying to you. We'll pray day in and day out. EC, we have got to decide, do we really want God or not? You know, in Luke 18, Yeshua tells this famous parable of the persistent widow at the beginning of Luke 18. And he introduces the parable like this, Luke 18, verse 1. Then Yeshua told the disciples a parable to show them what? That they should always pray and never give up. Like this persistent widow with the unjust judge. And the context of the parable is he's talking to them. If you look at the context, he's talking to them about the coming of the king. Yeshua says, pray and never give up. God listens to those who cry out to him day and night, night and day. I want you to listen to what Jonathan Edwards said in The Great Awakening in America in the 1730s. We'll put this on the overhead. He writes this. It's very apparent from the word of God that God often, tri- God often tries the faith and patience of his people when they're crying out to him for some great and important mercy. He tries their patience, how? By withholding the mercy they seek for a season. Not only so, but he actually may cause an increase in what he calls dark appearances. And yet he, without fail, at last prospers those who continue urgently in prayer, with all perseverance, and will not let them go until he blesses them. What Edwards is saying is that when God's people cry out to them, 
he'll often wait and see if they really want what they're asking for. And then maybe at the beginning, even give dark appearances where there seems to be no answer to prayer to test us, to see if we really want what we're asking him for. And inevitably, he blesses those who hold on to him, like Jacob did, wrestling with the angel, and he won't let them go until he blesses them. This is a picture of Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis when he says, I won't let you go, Lord, until you bless me. That is a picture of bold prayer. Lord, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to stop crying out to you until you bless me. And in Luke 18, this parable of the persistent widow, uh, it's telling us that God is honored by that kind of prayer. And this is where we must decide if we have a fast food version of Yeshua faith. It says, if we don't get it, get it the way we want it right away, get it our way, we get bored and we move on to something else. Or are we willing here to be a faith family that calls out to God day in and day out, week in and week out? And if he doesn't answer right away, we keep on praying. And if he doesn't answer in the next month or even the next year, he will still find us on our faces, crying out, fasting and praying, asking him to show his glory and to resound his praise among the nations and to come back quickly. And if he hasn't returned yet, nonetheless, when he looks down upon E.C., he will still find us on our faces, calling out to him. And he asks us this question, Luke 18, verse 8. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let it be, exile. Let it be. We are a quick-fix people, but we do not serve a quick-fix God. How much do we want Yeshua? You see, I pray that we'll say, Lord, we'll put this on the overhead, Lord, we, want, we will bombard your throne day in and day out, night in and night out with our prayers. She will never rest from our voices crying out to you in faith and in love and in spirit and in truth. And as you command, we will pray always and we will never give up. So let's give God no rest. Number one, from our praising him. Number two, from our confessing. Number three, from our praying. And finally, number four, from our working. God is not just calling us to fast and pray and then passively to sit back and hope something happens. No, because we are called to fast and to pray and to work. We have been given a great commission to accomplish. Matthew 24, verse 14. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Did you catch that? Yeshua says the gospel must first be preached to all the nations, and then and only then the end will come. Only then will Yeshua return. Only then will the king come. Yeshua will come when the gospel is preached to all the nations. Well, how do we know when that's happened? I love what George Ladd says. He says, put this on the overhead. He says, God alone, who told us that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world, God alone knows when this objective has been accomplished. I do not need to know. I only know one thing. Messiah has not yet returned. Therefore, the task is not yet done. When it's done, Messiah will come. Our responsibility is not to insist on defining the terms of our task. Our responsibility is to complete the task. So as long as Messiah has not yet returned, our work is not yet done. So let us be busy and complete our mission. God, may it be so. We will fast and praise and, and pray and confess and work, and we will never let you rest until the mission is accomplished. Yeshua, put that in the overhead, please. Yeshua, we will work to accomplish your mission for us, number one, because we want your glory in your congregation. Number two, we want your praise to resound among the nations. Number three, we want you to come. And that's why we preach the gospel, let's climb. 
Because we want Yeshua to come. We want Yeshua's glory to reign. That's why we go to the nations. That's why we work to fulfill the Great Commission. That's why we pray. That's why we fast. Do we really want God? Or are we content with the status quo of business as usual? And by tomorrow morning, we will have completely forgotten all about the, God, the glory of God. And by Monday morning, we have no zeal for his mission. Are we content with that? Or will we, as a Messianic Covenant community, confess that we want more? Will we confess that we want more of your glory, more of your majesty, more of your power? And you will find us on our faces, Lord, fasting and praying until, like Yaakov, you bless us. We will not let you go, Lord, until you bless us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand and pray. Hallelujah. Have the music team, please come up. Hallelujah. Lord, we are hungry today for your glory to fall in our midst. We want your praise to resound among every nation. We want all of Israel to be saved, just as you promise us in your word. We want you to return Yeshua and establish your kingdom. So, Lord, help us to be faithful watchmen on the walls. Help us to be watchmen that give you no rest until you save your people and make your name a praise on the earth. And therefore, Yeshua, we will fast and we will pray for your kingdom to come. We will fast and we will pray because more than our, even than our body wants food, our soul wants you, Lord. We long for you. We ache for you. We want more of you, more than we want food. But we want more of you in our marriages. We want more of you in our homes. We want more of you in all our relationships. We want more of you here at Etzchayim. We want more of you in our outreach and our evangelism and our fulfilling your great commission. Lord Yeshua, we desire you. We are hungry, not for physical food, but we're hungry for you. And so we fast and we pray and we will not keep silent, but we'll be faithful watchmen crying out to you for your glory to be known in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And nations will see your righteousness and kings your glory. So Yeshua, let your glory be restored to your body. Let your, your praise resound to the nations. Bring revival to your people Israel and establish your messianic kingdom here on earth. Lord, we fast and we pray for this and we cry out, Come, Lord Yeshua, come quickly. Come. And in your name we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.